everybody. Welcome to this week's edition of Terry's Talking, our new podcast on Cleveland.com. I'm David Campbell, sports manager at Cleveland.com, and joined, as always, by Terry Pluto, award-winning columnist, sports writer, sports book writer. Terry, how is Vintage Browns, your new book, coming along? Give us the update. I'm going to ask you every well, week hopefully, until it comes out. Hopefully, yeah, hopefully in a couple of months. It's done. And uh, the cool thing, we're going to have a lot of pictures from uh, Cleveland.com and the Plain Dealer included in it. Uh, it's really heavy on the Browns of the 80s, but there's some uh, newer people in there. And a lot of it, like, for example, there's a chapter on Phil Dawson, Brady Quinn, people I liked. But it mostly it's just I, I think it'll be a book that people can relate to is inspired by that series of stories that I did about guys on their draft days. So that's um, that's coming along. But David, it's like everything else in this world. You know, you make plans, something like the, one of the old Jewish proverbs says, you make your plans and then God laughs. Right now, you make your plans and supply chains laugh. So yep, yep. that'll well, be the key, key part. Well, as long as your book doesn't get held up in one of those uh, storage containers out in California in the middle of off the shore of California, it might be, it need, might, might get to the bookstores by Christmas. So yeah, so hopefully it'll be good. And, uh, you know, Vintage Cavs is still available, which was a fun book on that. So, boy, now we shamelessly plugged. Good. It's, it, it has to be done. It makes a great Christmas present, right? Get it, in yeah, of course. Get, get it on your list now. So, yeah. so speaking of vintage, last week you put out a call for questions on your Facebook account for Hey Terry questions. And you put posted a picture of Jerry Dibzinski standing in the old Memorial, the uh, old Memorial Stadium, a municipal stadium. In a, and now it's a, a memorial. <laughs> yeah, it is a memorial now. It's a reef. Um, and he was wearing his Indians uniform, and there were about six or eight inches of snow uh, mm-hmm. on the ground. And he's standing there uh, with his uniform on, with his foot up on one of the old bleacher seats back there in the old stadium. And I'm always interested. People love Jerry Dibzinski. And speaking of vintage, like this guy, he's, people, he's like a fan favorite, like a cult following. Um, and I know you have a history with him, so I thought it'd be interesting to yeah. spend a little time talking Jerry. Well, certainly fans of a, a, a certain age. I mean, Dibzinski uh, is from Collinwood High School, east side of Cleveland. He was uh, drafted in 1977. He was picked in the 16th round. So, you know, you think about that 16th round pick. I bet his signing bonus wasn't even 10 grand back then. And you know, I, he played at Cleveland State and he played at Collinwood. I mean, what are the odds of that guy then turning around and making the big leagues? And he um, he was actually playing third base in a game for Collinwood when I um, was sitting most of the time at Benedict. And I might have actually gotten into that game, but I'm not positive. But I remember him because he did pitch some, too. And, and we knew who the good players were on the other teams. You know, he batted clean up in that. But it wasn't like. Boy, for example, Chris Bando's in the same class as us, and, and he played at Solon High, son of Sal Bando. And, you know, the biggies were looking at him, and I forgot whether Chris went to Arizona or Arizona State. I believe he went to Arizona. And there was nothing like that for Dubzinski. You know, base, Cleveland State's baseball program was barely Division One, And there he is getting drafted, and he gets drafted in 77. And by 1980, he's in the big leagues. I mean, it's, it's a phenomenal thing. And he played five, played six years, uh, played, you, you grew up in Chicago. So you saw him with the white Sox. Mm-hmm. and, you know, he played in the playoffs. I'm looking here. Uh, the most games, in fact, the most games they ever played in a, in a season was 127 with the white Sox 
uh, back in 1983. Uh, and then uh, his last season as a pro player was 1985. And I believe he's gone into, last I heard he was investments in stockbroking in Chicago. So, you know, there's one of those, it's like, I remember when I was talking to, uh, uh, doing a story when Brian Hoyer got yet another contract somewhere else, you go, this guy had an amazing career because I believe Hoyer's from St. Ignatius. Yeah, granted, he went to Michigan State but wasn't drafted and he keeps hanging on. And and Divzinski made the made the big leagues. You know, baseball is hard. It's like something like 13% of all players who sign a contract uh, make the big leagues. And it's like less than 10% last more than two years. Yeah, and he had a pretty incredible career, like like you said, from where he came from. So right. When you yeah. look when you when you look at it there, um, you had a very strong arm. And I just, I don't know. I like when I post one of those things for questions, I just kind of look through our files that we have and see there's a different, like there's Dubzinski sitting in the snow. If I remember right, I think it was the 1982 season. It was like a bunch of snow in April. So they took the pictures and I was covering the Indians back then. So I covered Dubzinski with the tribe. And I mean, more than once I said, Jerry, just amazing. You made it. And he was kind of amazed himself. He's not there, but just, he, when you sign a minor league contract and you're a 15th round pick and they send you, you know, to like Sarasota back then or the Florida rookie league and you look around and there's like 45 or 50 guys and they start cutting them as you're there a month, two months in, you know, you're wondering, boy, am I going to make it? I'm looking that first year in, in uh, rookie ball. He only hit 219. Um, and next year he hit 283. Mostly he proved himself to be a really good glove man. So this is to you, Jerry Dubzinski. <laughs> and now he's going around Chicago saying he played against Terry Pluto in high school. I yeah, I'm sure he is. Yeah. His so, major league average of 234 was a couple points higher than I hit at Benedictine. So, <laughs> so I didn't want to spring this on you, but I, I just thought of it right now. Is he like the most famous um, athlete that you ever played against? Oh, no. I played. I mean, Chris Bando played in the biggest. There was a pitcher named David, Dave Tobik, who... Um, pitched in the big leagues with the Tigers. He struck me out like twice. I remember there was like in a summer league game and he was probably thrown on the 90 or 91, but it seemed like 190 to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, there were, I got fouled in a JV basketball game by Lawrence Boston, who played at Maryland and played a little bit in the NBA with a couple of different teams, but I don't have any big stories. I get, you know, betting against Cy Young award winners or anything. Yeah. My only uh, claim to fame is I played in a game against Sean Payton when I was in high school. He was, oh, the, he was really? the quarterback at Naperville Central in, oh, Chicago, yeah? in suburban Chicago. And we were, we were beating them 17 to 14 in the second half in a playoff game. And then he came out and just torched us in the second half. What, did, what position did you play? I was offensive line. Yep. Back in the day. Oh. So, yep. So that was my, uh, that was my most notable. That's athlete. actually, I should, we got to put that up maybe for next week. Who did you play against in high yeah, school? Yeah, That'd be a good question. That was, yeah, I like it is. That. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see what, and what think. happened and tell the truth. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Because we're gonna check. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see this. I dunked on LeBron. I don't want to see that. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the Browns. So, um, it was a really interesting game Sunday, and I think, uh, and we, and you wrote a little bit about this about how we're at the point where people are complaining when the Browns win now, which is a nice problem to have. Um, what was your take mm-hmm. on the game, and, and how do you feel in terms of where this team is at two games in? Well, number one is it's an old line, but true. The NFL is a pass fail league. I mean, we don't really spend a lot of time on some of those games that the Browns just eked out last year, you know, over the Bengals and a few other teams. Uh, 
the, in the end, it's, it's a W. So I look at that. I mean, if I were to look at the two tapes next, next to each other, and really analyze them, I think I'd probably say they played better at Kansas city than they did against uh, Houston, but nonetheless, they did win. And I, you know, what I was impressed with is what after Baker got hurt, not just, he came back in the game, but how they really adjusted the game plan. They protected him. They ran the ball down, you know, Houston's throat, short passes. And my guess, David is, they had were in control of that game in the second half, whatever it took that they needed to do, they were going to do it to win. So that's, that's a, a growth of a team. And I think we have to get past the idea that, you know, this is the NFL. It isn't like, for example, Ohio state's playing Akron this week, or that there are none of those kind of games that go on there. Um, most NFL games are under 10 points. A surprising amount of them are under seven. Yeah. And if you just look at the point spreads, if you're in any kind of a, like a survivor pool and you're trying to pick one yeah. winner a week, I mean, you can see how close the point spreads are every week and it's, you're right. Well, um, wasn't it last week, the Browns were like I'd, 12 or 13 point favorite. That was the biggest spread. I think you're right. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you could go back and say a Tyrod Taylor not got hurt, you know, it could have been different. I mean, who knows? Um, now we, we get break down some things in the game. And I think it, it was a, uh, a shock to the system when Jarvis Landry goes out on the first play. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the interesting things I think they talked about uh, after the game on Sunday, our Browns coverage team in their orange and Brown talk podcast, they were saying that the, when that happened, when the injury started happening, they went back to what they knew they could do, which mm-hmm. is hand the ball to the running backs run behind Wyatt Teller. They went right. I think on every important running play they needed to, mm-hmm. to, to, um, capitalize on and that we know that that's the identity of that offense is just when when things get rough they're going to give the ball to those guys and run behind that offensive line defensively is a whole different like do you have a good idea of what joe woods's defense is going no. to be yet or where it's at and it just it seems like it's really different vibes on different sides of the ball how about no no and no and that's not by the way to just trash i just don't have a good feel for it at all partly because they're not getting much from the defensive line you know, is it because they haven't played together that, but I guess if we go back to a year ago where the offense was so new with all kinds of other stuff, remember they kind of sputtered around early in the, in the season, they were up and down. And see, that's the nice thing when you bring back the whole offense like that a year later in the same system. All right. We got to cut out half the playbook, but we're so good at these few things that we do. We're coming right at you. And it's almost like you talked about playing high school football or, you know, the college thing. It's like, we're going to run the ball. I don't care what you do. And then we're going to yep, drop stop it. If you, can. Passes. Yep. you have no chance. You have no chance. Our offensive line is better. How about they just drop Blake Hansen there and they roll along anyway. Baker, they don't want any deep drops or anything with him. And they roll along anyway. Now, granted, nobody says Houston is this great defense. But, uh, by the way, Houston might be a little better than they've been in the past. Maybe this guy, Cully, can coach a little bit. So that might help them. And remember this. Early in the season, teams that are destined to be bad don't know they're bad yet. That's a key part. Because when you get on top of them in week 10 or 12, they're, they have the here we go again syndrome. We're going to fall apart. It's not going to go well. That's not the case early in the year. Right, right. So, you know, the NFL is a game of, like you said, pass fail. And it's also a game of week to week adjustments. And the Browns are going to have to make some changes this week with Jarvis Landry going on the IR today. He's going to be out a few weeks. I know someone you've long been a fan of. Yes. And I think he's going to figure prominently this week is, this week is Richard Higgins. Um, 
how do you think he is going to help them weather this next few weeks here when Odell's, it sounds like Odell, from what Mary Kay Cabot has reported, Odell is probably going to be back this week. But how does Richard Higgins fit into this puzzle and how do you see him contributing Sunday? Well, it's like what Richard told me when I first interviewed him, when he, they brought him in for like the rookies after the draft. What kind of receiver are you, Richard? I am a catch the ball kind of receiver. And that meant I will catch the ball. And there's always a place for a catch-the-ball kind of receiver, especially one who, as he's growing up, he understands what his role is. Just like last year, remember, he was just didn't seem to matter early in the year. Odell gets hurt, and all of a sudden, Richard matters. Now, it's Jarvis is out, Richard matters. And I think we'll see, if they start throwing him the ball, as Baker probably will, that he is going to help them move the ball down the field. To me, I know he's not that fast, David, but you start looking at this guy averages like 15 yards a catch. He gets bigger gains. Well, Dan Lobby and I always joke, I'm his Higgins's agent, Lobby's Kareem Hunt's agent. You know, that if this guy's <laughs> were used even more, you know, they would do better. But the numbers indicate that. And by the way, Kareem, you could throw the ball to Kareem. Whatever Odell does or doesn't do, I'm, you know, I'm always skeptical on Odell because I've always doubted his physical uh, durability from the moment they got him. And so we'll see. But I'm, uh, I'm anxious to see him get back in there. They're going to need him. Now, Chicago's defense is a real defense. That's not Houston. That's not Kansas City. Yeah, they're going to have their hands full. And just getting back into Richard Higgins' numbers, I, I wanted to, I was curious, yeah. like, what he did last year. And I wanted to kind of refresh my memory. So he had 49 targets in 2020, and he had 37 catches for on those 49 targets for 599 receiving yards, four touchdowns. He had one drop out of 49 yep. targets. All right. So, so that's a, that's a really impressive percentage. And like you said, he catches the ball, his average, yards per, average? his average yards per reception, 16.2 and his average yards after catch 2.1. Yeah. yeah. All right. <laughs> which, well, which is what we thought, right? He catches the ball and okay. If you tackle him, fine, but in your average catches 16 yards, it's a lot of first downs waiting to be made there. So, and you get somebody of... who's as accurate as Baker Mayfield is and a guy who doesn't drop the ball, who can find the spots and the zones. Uh, when it's third and eight, you know he's going to be nine yards deep and he's going to catch the ball, right? That's pretty much what you're saying. Exactly. And, and, and he knows if it's second or third and eight to run a 10-yard pattern. You know, that's, I, a, that's another big thing. Yeah, and this I thought this was an interesting stat too. The passer rating of, of the of the quarterback last season, <laughs> yeah. which was Baker, the passer rating of Baker Mayfield when he targeted Richard Higgins was 126.1. So okay, move over Tom Brady. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I think you can see why those guys those guys have a good connection, and I think you're right to expect that we'll see more of it on Sunday. And if you go all the way back to um, Higgins out of high school, had no Division one offers he was sitting on an offer from sam houston state which is the old one double a he's in a high school basketball game because higgins told me this and all of a sudden afterwards this coach from texas um i'm sorry where did he go uh colorado State State. came up to him yeah who was friends with some high school coach from texas not even richard's coach who told him they, they had just fired everybody colorado state new coaches came in they're desperate for players who told him about higgins who by the way had a really good high school career 
And the guy comes up, I'm from Colorado State. I just watched you to play basketball. I watched you play basketball. I think you could play receiver from us from what I heard. You want to come on a trip to Fort Collins? Of course, he was like ready to walk up there uh, just to get a chance. That was his only Division One thing. And then he ends up, uh, I believe he ended up being their all-time leading receiver. So I broke a bunch of records there. And then remember, they drafted four receivers that year. He was the fourth one picked. It kind of is. And, and, you know, think of all the guys he's been through, all the coaches, all that. And he's still here. And every year it's, well, we got Richard the end of the season. Is he going to come back or not? They bring him back on a one-year contract. Um, he earns his money. Yeah. And if the Browns, uh, especially if the Browns see a lot of zone from Chicago on Sunday, I, yeah. think, I think we are, we might see a pretty big day from Richard Higgins. So we'll see how that goes. I'm, I'm excited to see what they do defensively because, to, you know, we're trying to be fair to Joe Woods, but man, they did not have a quarterback hit or sack in that game until a two and a half minutes to go and Delpit hit um, Brad. What's not Brad Mills uh, was Davis Mills. And then they had two um, hits after that Clowney got a couple on Mills right towards the end of the game, but you played, uh, almost 58 minutes without a sack or even a hit after the throw and the second half against a rookie who's kind of statuesque, not a, not a Tyrod Taylor. I don't care how new it is. That's bad. And now what, like, can they fix it with just four guys rushing or do they need to start bringing some, no. some blitzes and stuff? So no, they got to bring some blitzes. You know, they have some of these guys that are safety. We saw Delva do it. Harrison's a guy that could do it. Uh, JOK as a linebacker could do it. You know, they're going to have to have to mix it up some until they really figure out who they are defensively, as you mentioned, because when I said, no, 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 I don't, what, what do you think? Don't tell me what it's supposed to be. What you've seen so far, where where is the defense in terms of its identity? How would you say it? They don't have one yet. Okay. But they've had so many pe- people moving in and out of the lineup and, and the linebacker yeah. injuries, and it's it's just it, it's hard to have an identity when you're when you're pushing guys in and out, having to change cover. You know, like it's it's just it's hard. And I think as things go along, we'll start to see what this this unit is all about. So. And remember, the thing that always saved the Browns on offense a year ago is number one, they had an elite offensive line coach. Number two, when they had J.C. Treader and Petonio coming back, you know, right there. So then they were able, when they added, they had those two guys plus an elite coach. Then they had a first-round pick in Wills. They had the highest-priced free agent on the line in Conklin. And then they only really had to plug in one spot at the guard spot with Remember, it was not even given that Teller was going to start at that point. I forgot who else they were looking at. But they got that zone blocking thing going right away. So that bought time for Baker to figure out how this offense works. And then you have these elite running backs. So the the identity could be seen. And they have on defense, you have pieces, but you don't have the identity. Now, it could develop over time. And that's why this, you know, I've already gotten the fireboat, you know, Joe Wood stuff, not going on that road, but I, I do wish that I could say, okay, boy, they are really good in the secondary or they are really good up front. I just wish I felt strong enough to say on any part of the team defensively that. 
Well, yeah, and they want, they're a little disappointed, I think, in how many turnovers they've been able to force so far. And if you ramp up that pass rush, maybe you get a couple of picks and things can start rolling. Something, but yeah, yeah. They, they've, got, they've got some work to do. There's no doubt about it. So Browns versus Bears on Sunday at 1 o'clock, kickoff at uh, Donner First Energy Stadium. We're going to take a break real quick. We'll be back to talk some Indians prospects and some Rubber Ducks playoffs and a little bit of Cavs. And I have a Jerry Dibzinski-related trivia question that Terry will, I'm sure, know the answer to. So we'll be right back on Terry's Talking. All right, we're back on Terry's Talking. Terry, we're going to talk a little Indians prospects here. I know you had your Sunday column and you got kind of went in depth in terms of who Indians and slash Guardians fans can look forward to seeing on the upcoming years. A couple of guys that I know you want to talk about here. Stephen Kwan, do you want to do him first, maybe? Tell us. A yeah, the reason him. I'm reason I mentioned him is so people may be saying, well, who is he? And Kwan was a fifth round pick at Oregon State a few years ago. Um, and remember, the tough thing for some of these guys, there was no minor league baseball in 2020. So they got, you know, kind of lost. This guy is He's uh, a guy that uh, isn't particularly big. He's, he's more of a, you know, kind of a, he's five foot nine, 170, he's 24 years old. But this year he started the year at Akron, actually on the injured list with the hamstring. And now he's moved up to AAA between the two levels. He's hitting 335 with a 949 OPS and 10 homers. Uh, you don't hear him mentioned. Fifth round pick, 2018. So he has vaulted up. And I think that he's the kind of guy, frankly, if they didn't have a mile strong, we might be talking more about him for center field next year. But anybody that might be able to play the outfield on this team, I'm really interested in. So there's one. And I'm in spring training. I'm sitting here with my wife and she's watching him. And I had heard of him just because he played on, I think, a national championship team, but I knew nothing. He dropped down a bunt and beat it off. And I think he slapped us in the opposite field. My wife said to me, she goes, I like him. Of course, she likes all the little guys. She always, she <laughs> liked the, you know, uh, Sinchu Chu, sort of the smaller outfielders. Coco Chris, those are always kind of her favorites. So she liked Jose Ramirez before he got to be really good. So, so she she's might got be her, right. Yeah. She's got, got the eye for track talent. record. Absolutely. Okay. Um, and then Oscar Gonzalez was another guy that you're kind of intrigued by. Yeah, I feel like I'm more intrigued by him than uh, the Indians are and other teams. I mean, it's remarkable that this is a guy, he's 25 years old. I'm sorry, excuse me, 23 years old. Between the AA and AAA levels this year, he's hit 28 homers, 77 RBIs, right-handed hitter, 6'4", 240, not real good in the outfield. But 28 homers is 28 homers. And in 2019, what happened there, see, this is how – these uh, uh, minor leagues got messed up because he, he had batted 300 in, in a ball and then at midseason they moved him up to Akron and he only hit 188. That's back in 19. Then 2020, see, season shuts down. You won't even find him on some of the top 30 goes Now he's finally making it on there. And this year he just exploded with the power and everything else. Um, even Baseball America, the review they have at, at midseason, they finally put him on their top 30 Indians list. And they said, well, he might be a power bat, uh, part-time and this. I mean, maybe he is. I haven't seen enough of him to know. All I know is 28 home runs, 77 RBIs. You don't see a lot of that in the Indians' farmhand. And I'm looking at his 
Now, he doesn't walk much. He has 21 walks compared to 101 strikeouts, but it's not Bobby Bradley kind of strikeouts in the minors. You know, it's one every four at best, not one every three. Yeah, and it's uh, it's it's a weird like you mentioned how weird it is for some of these prospects with last year and having to adapt to not having a minor league season. Yeah. And, and this year, it's really interesting because the Rubber Ducks, the Indians class AA affiliate, are actually going into the playoffs um, this week. And the first game is actually tonight, September 21st. They're, they're playing a five-game set against Bowie, which is the or- Orioles AA affiliate. So there's games tonight and tomorrow tomorrow in at Bowie. And then the Rubber Ducks are home Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The last two games are if needed because it's best of five. Um, in their playoff series. Uh, and actually one of the, one of the pitchers you wrote about on Sunday, Peyton Battenfield, the mm-hmm. pitcher that the Indians got in the Jordan Luplo trade, he's going to be starting tonight's game. Um, I think the last numbers th- that we had for him was seven and one with a 2.53 ERA in class A yep. and mm-hmm. 82, he had 82 strikeouts it's, and 71 are, innings. Yeah, that was double A cause he was double A in Tampa. And then here, and then, uh, then there's, um, well, Connor Pinkinton, Pilkington is the guy they got for Cesar Hernandez. And it's like, he's like, let me see right here. Exactly. Um, he is seven and six with a three Oh four overall. And they've been really happy with, with both. These are, co- these are classic Indians pitchers, the kind of guys I'm sure they liked in the draft. They were college pitchers, uh, pretty good control. They strike out more than a uh, a batter an inning, but not like guys are throwing 95 miles an hour or anything like that. So, um, in fact, uh, Pilkington's pitched much better since he's come to the Indians than he did when he was with the White Sox. So they're, they're working those guys through, but a guy that is, isn't mentioned much and they absolutely love this guy. And he is a not yet another college pitcher. His name is Cody Morris. He was picked in the seventh round of 2018 and he's had some injuries, but this year he moved um, all the way from Akron to, to Columbus and his ERA for a total for the year is 169. Now he's not pitched a ton of innings, but um, these are, the, it's amazing. They, they just, like we talked about, we want anybody to play the outfield. They just keep having these pitchers coming and coming. The highest priced most expensive thing to develop and to keep is starting pitching. So that's why remember this year, they drafted like 19,000 pitchers in the draft. That's why, because they figure they could turn around, trade one of these guys for some position players if need be. Yeah. And a lot of people think, you know, with double it, the triple A is the highest level of the minors, which it is, but you find some of the most interesting prospects at double A because of their kind of um, the, they, they always call the triple A guys. A lot of times they're the 45th guy on the roster or whatever they're yeah. moving up and down the double A is where you find a lot of the top prospects. What is it about double A that, that kind of is interesting to you? Well, it, it's almost like a, like, for example, the big bus station in Cleveland is down by Cleveland state where buses from all over town come in. They go in all kinds of different directions. Well, the same thing with the players, you get to double A that means you've done well at the class A level, but now you're actually going to be, as they would say, playing against men. You know, some of these guys in double A are 25, 27 years old. Uh, they've been to triple A, maybe even a couple been to the majors and back. So if you've had problems uh, hitting breaking balls or that, they're going to work you over at that level. And so it often is the end of the line for some guys. In the meantime, such an Eastern League, if you hit in the Eastern League, which is tends to be what's now called the North, Northeastern League, how about that? 
they changed the name of the league. Not the league didn't, but baseball did. So anyway, generally you will hit in the big ways because the weather is, it's a bus league. The weather's cold and it, it is a real kind of measuring stick. If you play pretty well in double A, you probably will play at some point in the big leagues. And if you don't, you're done. And you can be done pretty quickly. They can send you back to a ball and that prospect will name next to you. They they'll take the pros out of that. Now you're suspect. And that could be the end. Of, it's the end of the line. It's a very pressurized level because the players know that 62 guys went through Akron this year. And I talked for a story for tomorrow uh, for Wednesday, Jim Fander is the GM there and Ken Bobby. I talked to the owner and the uh, GM and, from what they could tell, and I was looking at only two guys actually spent the whole year at Akron out of the 62. Catcher was Bo Naor, who didn't hit. He caught well, but only hit like 190 top prospect. And the other is kind of a, a utility infielder guy that the fans embraced. Guy, his name is Jose Fermin. He's not related to Felix, but he was kind of an organizational guy, 24 years old. And then the rest, you have like Joe, George Valera's there now on the top prospects. Um, Rokio is a guy that the, the people like. So you have a lot of these guys coming up, and we already mentioned how Gonzalez and Quan started there, moved up to AAA. Um, Cody Morris blew through there. And I'm sure if I look at it, there's probably some guys sent back to A-ball that were you know, somewhat highly regarded before but aren't anymore. Um, it's a tough league to play in because of the bus trips. How about this? Because of COVID, you know, they don't like to spend a lot of money in the minors. So you know, 25, 30 guys on a bus, here you go. They had to have three buses for each trip because that was like 10 on a bus. That's how they did it for COVID. Oh, interesting. That adds yeah. up. Yeah, that adds They were up. eating. They Instead of in the clubhouses, which are smaller, they set up for visiting teams this area like outside the ballpark behind home plate outside for them to eat before the game. And the, and the rubber ducks are way out in left field somewhere, sitting in the stands, eating their box lunches or whatever it was. So, I mean, they had to really accommodate for that. They ended up averaging about 3,600 fans, which is pretty good. Uh, they usually average about 5,000. But a lot of what I wrote about, would people care, want to come back to minor league baseball? It took a while, but they did. Yeah, and again, it's still going on, which is weird. If you want to catch some yeah. baseball before the weather turns, uh, Friday night set, and then Saturday and Sunday, if needed. I, I think our colleague Mark Boner wrote that they are having fireworks on Friday and Saturday, if anybody wants they to They always that. have fireworks <laughs> on right. Friday and Saturday. They do. I still live in Akron. I live about three miles from the park, and every Friday and Saturday night, I hear the boom. So There you go. Go hear some final fireworks before the, uh, the bad weather comes. So, All right, Terry, let's talk a little Cavaliers. Um, Monday is media day. Coming up yes. out in at Cleveland Clinic Courts, um, Kevin Love is still a member of the team. And what do you make of that? Well, their public stance has been that um, we're not going to buy them out. And Love's stance is they're not. I'm not going to take any buyouts. And my guess is they're still going to you know see if they can work a trade for him. He still wants to be traded. I don't know, David. I mean, I guess that you could you could do it at any point, but this is another guy he gets hurt every year. I'm not even gonna get into all the numbers are bad uh, for the last four years. Um, I just, you know, sometimes the Cavs maybe they could pull this off, but remember they hung on to J.R. Smith all year. They've hung on to some of these guys. They thought they were going to uh, 
Drummond. They thought they're going to make this great deal for Drummond. They ended up sending a home in the middle of the season. Then they just moved into the Lakers for nothing. They bought him out, let him go to the Lakers. The NBA is such a weird league, too. How about, you know, there were three or four guys last year. Uh, Aldridge was another one, along with Drummond and um, uh, Griffin, Blake Griffin. And mid-year, they just went home and waited to be traded or something or bought out. By the way, all have the same agent, the same agent as Kevin Love. So when that guy, the agent says, oh, we don't buy all our players, that's just not true. Yeah, I mean, it could be headed that way. We'll we'll see. I mean, it's, I would uh, think so. Yeah, I mean, and you look at it, you, the you, you turn around and um, they're a younger team, and I, you know, Kevin's been a big disappointment to me from the moment he signed that extension. You know, where he's, you know, whether it was fighting with John Beeline or just some some of the things he's he's you know kind of stunts on the court. I mean, not that he's a terrible guy or anything like that, but I thought he would really step up more into, you know, being the solid leader. And it's been a difficult situation. They kept hiring and firing coaches, but he had to know that, that when LeBron left, I mean, history sits, stares you in the face of what happens when he left the first time, this is going to be hard. It's going to be hard. A lot of players coming and going. And we don't even know all the stuff that's going on behind the scenes. We see the sulking incident from last year, which he had to apologize for after the game. And we see when we hear about the beeline thing, but we don't know what's what else is happening in the locker room. And there's how, a couple other yeah. things. Remember, there's another time you got into a Kobe Altman on something. So we'll see. Now, you know, you turn around this year. Um, I was just hoping they'd get a wing player, but they didn't. You know, so I guess that puts a coral back at uh, small forward and you have the small backcourt with Sexton and Garland. Now I think Garland has a chance to really be good. And I think Sexton would be terrific as a six man, you know, like one of these Lou Williams types or whatever coming off the bench. It's just, I've had so many executives who actually kind of like both players, Garland and Sexton, just say, it's just so hard to play them both together, like 30 minutes a game. Is it that one guy said, you know, when the Cavs are good, when they put a coral in the backcourt with Garland and Sexton comes off the bench because they got a viable small forward. The quest continues. The quest continues. So I got to ask you real quick about the Ben yes. Simmons situation because we talked oh, a little bit about Ben Simmons yeah. last week. And I, when I think about NBA fans and Cavs fans would be included in this, I always think of the old Jerry Seinfeld joke where he says, men don't care what's on TV. They only care what else is on TV. and uh it kind of reminds me of like situations like this ben simmons things like i'm sure that Cavs fans see this week that ben simmons as we hear today is not going to be reporting for for training camp with the sixers and Cavs fans antennas go up and like could he fit here and stuff what what are you hearing and what do you what's what do you want to tell Cavs fans about ben simmons i haven't heard anything and maybe that's one of the reasons they're hanging on to kevin love because remember simmons is a max contract guy and so you would have to work out some stuff on the salary cap and, you know, something what they did want in the beginning was at least two first round picks. They started by asking for three in any sort of deal. And I heard now it's two. I'm not giving them two number ones for this guy. Um, it, to me, it's hard to pay a premium price for a player who is very weak at the foul line. Uh, and they talk about he doesn't shoot threes. He can't even make a medium range jumper. Now he's good defensively and he can rebound. And he handles the ball fairly well, but he's a power forward that wants to play point guard. He's just a weird player. Now they want to take Kevin Love and, you know, somebody else for him. 
and I could bring him in. Okay, we'll see if that'll work and see if he wants to revive his career here. But two number ones and this kind of stuff, forget that. I'm not giving it to him for that. Well, be an interesting storyline to follow here as the as the preseason kicks off. And like I said earlier, media day is on Monday. So we will see what people have to say then. So, um, Terry, real quick, your faith column this week. Have you decided where you want to go with that yet? Have you got uh, a topic in mind? You, like to you had to ask that, didn't you? Actually, <laughs> yes. It's uh, something like when they, they talk about all these fruits of the spirit and this, they talk about joy, peace, happiness, patience. The last one listed in a couple of places in the Bible is self-control. And boy, is that an important one in relationships or whatever. I mean, one of the key things that I've learned that we just, my wife and I just had our 44th anniversary is you don't have to respond to everything that's said right away. And you know, it's just like in, um, you know, in, in sports or anywhere else. And that's part of self-controls. The other thing is in a lot of areas, you know, being right is highly overrated. You know, when you get into, especially with friends or whatever, it's like, you could argue for a while, but you got to watch it. Cause most of the things you're really arguing about, I'm not saying being right on, no, you're too drunk to drive home. Yes, I am. No, no, not that stuff. It's like, you know, whatever it is. No, that right. happened back in 1978. You know, no, none of that junk, you know, and that and it could sometimes cause that or or even the political argument, the dumb political arguments we could have uh, um, that, you know, how could how can you really think that? You know, I, I know I've known you all my life, but how can you vote for that guy or how can you think that's good? I mean, you're just so wrong. It's like there are a lot of things we just put on the shelf and that's self-control of like arguing about things that are correct. So. As you could tell, I'm just working through this, and but that would be uh, the next topic, I hope. Yeah, making me think of the old saying, there's a reason we have two ears and one mouth, right? Yeah, yeah it, so. it really is. And, and you know, the other thing is, you know, the classic, you know, treat others as you would want to be treated. And very rarely in anything do we get into big problems when something's going on and we just shut up. And just stop. True. Very true. All right. That'll be a very good column to read. Good luck with uh, putting that one together. We started the podcast with Jerry Dibzinski. So I have a yes. to wrap up for Terry's trivia today. So you mentioned Jerry Dibzinski was on the 1983 White Sox team that won the division that year. Carlton Fisk was the starting catcher on that team. Okay. One of the backup catchers who played on that team would eventually become an Indians manager. He would take over in the 2002 season, if that's a hint. Oh, Joel Skinner. Joel Skinner. Joel Very Skinner. Very good. Wow. <laughs> when you said that, that's what helped me. Because I'm thinking Indians, man, well, Eric Wedge was a catcher, but he never got to the big leagues. And so I was like, Joel Skinner. I, everybody forgets. Actually, the guy had a decent half season as manager if you ever go back and look at the record yeah he did he, he he managed 76 games for the indians uh, when he took over for charlie Manuel in 2002 and he went 35 and 41 um, which so remember right. the team was tank was falling apart then Absolutely. But they went to eric yep. wedge after that so there you go terry is trivia terry's trivia for that week we got a jerry dibzinski connection so uh there we go. Anything else, Terry, you want to get into this week? I think we're, uh, I think, I think remember where I said you, sometimes you'll not won't get into trouble just being quiet. Well, I'm going right <laughs> to that point. I will join you there. Thanks everybody for listening to this week's edition of Terry's talking. We'll catch you next week and have a great week.